podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, it's Simon Hughes. It's the Analyst Inside Cricket. And I'm pleased to say it's our birthday, Simon. We started this exactly a year ago. So thank you very much to all the listeners who stayed faithful with us or to us for the last 12 months. We've got a nice story to start our second year with as well. England suddenly winning a, a dramatic victory at the Melbourne Cricket Ground to start off the one-day campaign and quelling all those horrible feelings of disappointment after the ashes. And we'll talk a little bit about England's one-day form and also what we look ahead to with the New Zealand tour coming up. Also, after the break, we're going to talk to Ian Pont, who's a sort of self-styled fast bowling guru, and what he can do for England fast bowling reserves. He also tells us who his model fast bowler is, who fast bowlers should model themselves on. Perhaps quite surprising, but he is a very well-known fast bowler. Yeah, absolutely right. We're actually in the same country uh, again for the, the first time for, for about a month or so. So good to see you back in Australia. And uh, you kept an eye on the one-day performance yep. yesterday. Jason Roy, astonishing. Wonderful innings, wasn't it? I, I thought, actually, when I was in Australia during the Test Series and I was on ABC Radio and I said to them, you wait and see when the one-day series comes around. it would be fascinating to see what England can come up with. They've got a very good and emerging one-day side. And I sort of felt the attitude there was, oh, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're a pretty good one-day side. We're the world champions, mate. But actually, they played like world champions yesterday, England, restricting Australia to 300. They probably thought that was a decent score. Just, you know, following the game on radio and, and television, the television commentators, the Australian television commentators, they got the sense that they thought 304 was a winning score. Not necessarily so these days with the way England go out and play. I mean, they're, they're so dynamic. What I say about Jason Roy is he, he had a bit of luck, didn't he, at the start? There were two or three, could easily have been out. And people suggested Jason Roy could play in England's test side. He's certainly got lots of talent. And they, I mean, the question mark is, is, is he going to be good enough first up against the new ball? Because you can't play like that in test cricket all the time. You can play aggressively in test cricket, but you can't play like that the whole time. Sometimes it does come off. And of course, think back to last year when he had a terrible run of it in the Champions Trophy as well. He was dropped for the semi-final. And that happens, particularly in England, really, because it is much harder to bat like that. Well, certainly in test cricket, in the English conditions against the Duke ball, but uh, in Australian conditions against the white kookaburra, you, it's really licensed to print runs. Because a lot of people will be saying, well, why didn't England bat like that in the Ashes? But they were facing the Kookaburra ball in the Ashes as well, the red version and the pink version. It's harder to bat like that in, in, in Test cricket. It's just, it doesn't, I mean, Alex Hales had a go and, yeah. and didn't really come off and found that in the end he was trying to play a more orthodox kind of game and that didn't work either. So it, it maybe Roy would work at number six in Test cricket. I think he could bat there, definitely. But I don't We've think already he... got about three well, number sixes exactly. already. There's Ben Stokes, Moen Ali, there's Ben Stokes, different when he comes back. There's no coincidence that the players that are successful, five, six, seven, eight, in test cricket, tend to be guys who play shots because the ball's older, the bowlers are a bit tired, and it is easier to have a, a slightly more fluent, a slightly more fluid game. But the top order players, you can be aggressive... But you, I don't think you can be kamikaze. And Jason Roy really took the, the fast bowlers on. Brilliant innings. I thought, you know, the way he just set the tone with the aggression and the, and the kind of fearlessness was fantastic. 
but it's very difficult to do that in a test match where well, you've got slips fielding there you've got you've got no restrictions on field placings either in test cricket of course you can put a couple of men out on the hook you can't do that really in in one day cricket where you've only got two men out in the first 10 overs so it is a much easier game to be aggressive and, and slightly, well, completely fearless. You mentioned that Alex Hales has already had a go. Who do you think is more naturally talented, Alex Hales or Jason Roy? I think Roy. I, I think he's got something about his wrists. You know, in a way, uh, Hales is a very good slogger. He's a brilliant slogger. I don't want to kind of uh, diminish him. I mean, he's, he's, he's played some phenomenal innings in one-day cricket, but he just goes absolutely hammer and tongs at it, whereas there is some finesse about Jason Roy's batting, that sort of flamingo shot he plays from outside off, whipping it through mid-wicket, very fast hands. Of course, he's got those dexterous touches as well. He can flick the ball deftly fine and, and reverse suit. In fact, I remember his first game for England it was a T20 against India and he reverse swept his second ball for four in, in international cricket. Phenomenal. So I think there's a little bit more sort of all-round flair about Roy and in a way I wish he wouldn't always go for the pull even when he's a bit tired and they only need 20 to win he gave his wicket away in the end because he was a bit tired and he just thought oh god I'm just going to have a flap at this and he got out but it was a fantastic innings Mm. who do you think's got the better first class average you haven't looked at the stats who do you think's got the better first class average Roy Hales or Vince that's a good question that's a real test. I know that Roy's first-class average isn't that good because he's batted generally in the middle order for Surrey. I would say he's averaging about 34. I'd say Hales is probably higher. I reckon he's 40, 46. And Vince, probably 44. Vince is 38. Hales and Roy are 37. In fact, it's barely a wafer between Hales and Roy at first-class level. I mean, the reason I ask that question, of course, is because Vince has been... Kept in the in the test side for the what for the series in New Zealand, he's been selected again, and Hales has had his go in the test side, and Roy hasn't. I, I think the frustrating thing about Roy uh, is that he he has got something about him, hasn't he? And that he, what he hasn't been able to do with Surrey is when he he plays for Surrey, he hasn't in that middle order been able to get the really big scores that say pick me at test level. You, you sort of sense with him that he has got the talent to play. Test cricket. He has got that talent, that natural talent. Can he rein it in? I mean, I, I, I sense that Surrey that you know he, he plays at too many shots in county cricket. He doesn't have that sort of hard-headed ruthlessness that you actually need to be a really successful middle-order batsman as well. And you look at him and you think he's, he's definitely got something. And so I think it is frustrating that he's not been able to kick on in his first-class career. But he's so talented in, in, in white ball cricket that England are, are reaping those rewards. I just wonder whether, with a bit of tweaking, you could, you could change it into test form as well. It's like with Vince as well. That You know, you look at him, when you watch him play, that innings he played in Perth, the second innings in Perth, wonderful innings. Geoffrey Boycott gave it 10 out of 10, then he was undone by that superb delivery from, from Mitchell Stark. You, you, you look at him and you think, yeah, he's got it. And, and you, think, you look at Roy and you think he's got it, but they don't produce that volume of runs that you know, guarantees you a test spot and, and that's or should a, guarantee you a test spot. And that's a mindset thing as much as it is a technical thing. It's just being, uh, I suppose, hungry, 
um, and being almost insatiable and just wanting to bat and bat and bat rather than take on the bowlers mm. and intimidate them and so it's a concentrating it's a concentration thing and as well. I think also it's a role thing they know what their role is and Roy's role in one day cricket is to be aggressive and take on the bowlers and pick them off their length and hit them out into the deeply wicked area over long on and I think Vince probably is a bit of a hybrid batsman. At the moment, he doesn't really know what he is. He started in the one-day side, then he got into the test side, and he's got a sort of one-day method because he doesn't move his feet much and he goes for those big drives outside off stump. Yet he's trying to bat in a, a number three spot where you need longevity, and it just hasn't quite got the balance right. So it's a shame because he obviously has some natural talent. Roy... I think just plays too many shots. Can he adapt to test cricket? Well, I think he's realised that his strength, his asset to England, is the way that he batted in Melbourne. So maybe just keep on going on like that. Vince has obviously been selected in the the, the New Zealand tour in the test side. I guess he'll get another chance. Whether he'll get another chance at number three, I guess we will find out. But I, I, I thought that was a slightly surprising selection because he'd had enough chances and he kept making the same mistakes. It seems to me that with the selectors, a, a they picked him for Australia, and they thought he did. There were there were enough glimpses to have one more look. Yeah, it, it, it's that feeling of he must have been a fifty fifty selection, mustn't he? It must have been. Shall we continue with him? Shall we drop him? And I reckon they looked at him and they looked at those two innings, those quality innings he played, the one in Brisbane when he was brilliantly run out by line. Actually, if you look at the two innings he played when he got over 50... He was unlucky, wasn't he? Well, one, he was run out, yeah. which, you know, well, you know, it's a brilliant piece of fielding. You could say, well, that was just a misjudgment of a single. Can happen, can't it? It's happened, what, four times already in the first two innings of the India-South Africa test match in Centurion. And the second innings, he got that amazing... The second time, he got that amazing ball, didn't he, in Perth. So the two times he's got over 50, he's been undone by you could argue, a bit of bad luck. So I think they want to have one more go. But I just wonder, I was mentioning this week, I just saw whether they're sort of seduced a bit by his beauty. You know, as a batsman, he's a lovely batsman to watch. I mean, that innings he played in Perth was sublime. It was only 50-odd, but it was sublime batsmanship, wasn't it? And you think, there's got to be a test player in there somewhere. There has to be when you can play like this. And I wonder whether they just say, right, we just want to, we're just going to give him a little bit more of a go just to see whether he can actually produce something. Ironically, he's going to be up against some pretty good Well, bowlers. that's it. It's not... I mean, people thinking, oh, well, in, in New Zealand, it's going to be fine. You know, you'll, you'll get stacks of runs and England will win comfortably. They have got a good attack, New Zealand, and mm. it will be a real test out there. Not, in fact, dissimilar to, to the Australian attack. A very good left armour in Bolt, and then a couple of right armours, Southie and others. So... And, a good, I mean, you know, some good spinners. So... Actually, it's going to be as much of a test, I suppose, yeah. not a test of pace so much, but certainly a test of accuracy and movement. Also, as well, because you've got a day-night test match, one was a day-night test match, you could nip around, you know, Auckland un- under mm. lights. It, it could be a real test for the batsmen. Anyway, what about England's selection for the New Zealand series? I mean, there was a bit of tinkering. There's not much change after Australia. We, you know, we talked about this. We didn't think there was going to be a huge amount of change. The captain, coach, well, Trevor Bayliss was brought in to, to win the World Cup, so there was no chance of him losing his job I think it's you know if that hadn't have been the case just judge purely on the test results and I don't see him surviving the ashes but because he was brought in for the World Cup then you know on on you go Root obviously new captain he's not going to go players you know are there any better players out there the, the two interesting selections were Mark Wood 
who has already proved that he's got that little bit of extra something by getting David Warner out in the MCG one day. And I really still don't quite understand why they didn't give him a go in one of those last two test matches. Well, they just the said he wasn't fit enough. Match. They just said he wasn't fit enough yeah. to bowl 40 overs in a test match. And you look at Melbourne, the MCG, well, he'd have to bowl a lot there, wouldn't he, because it was so well, you flat. Can still, you and can Sydney still, the same. I mean, You can still give people who are not quite right to bowl 25 overs given 15 overs in a, in, a, in a day I mean if you if you're fit enough to bowl 10 in a one day international surely you can bowl 15 in a test match yeah. well I suppose the other side of it is, of course if he does get out there and bowls quickly and knocks them over quickly and you're off the field well, quicker yeah. you don't have to bowl all those overs yeah. what was it Australia yeah. out there for kept England out there for 193 overs was it in that sweltering heat <laughs> in the Sydney test match the, the other interesting selection was Liam Livingston and I got the word from the coaching fraternity that he was the, the guy on the Lions who really impressed. Mm. Obviously, he's earned his selection. He made one or two naive mistakes in his one-day debut matches for England in the summer, but uh, he's obviously got a lot of talent. And the, the word from the coaching people was that he was the guy that stood out on the Lions group. Uh, he's got a record in county cricket of making some big scores, hasn't he? Well, we talked about first-class averages for Vince and Hales and Roy earlier. Liam Livingston is up close to 50 in his first-class average. I mean, that that's the sort of average, really, that you you know you want to be picking players. You want them to have that sort of average before you pick them to play for England in a way. You know, if, if you're a test-quality player, I know there have been some anomalies over the years. Michael Vaughan didn't have a great county record, didn't he? But he, I mean, there was a sort of classiness about his back. was another one, actually. Triscothic was another one. But... You look at county cricket, and you 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 just saying, "Come on, average mm. in the mid forties, you mm. know, get get out there, get some runs." Which, of course, hungry. Gary Balance is or does, but just can't convert it in Test cricket. So let's hope that that someone like Liv- Liam Livingstone or ultimately James Vince can do it. His first class average is forty eight point seven five. That's fantastic. He's not played masses of. Four-day cricket, first-class cricket. He's only played thirty-one matches. I say only. I'm still a reasonable amount, but some players have played, you know, a lot more. But his average is, is moving up towards fifty. That yeah. that's the sort of the record. Do you think? Hold on a second. That that's the sort of record that makes selectors take notice. The other thing about Livingstone is he's twenty-four, so you feel that's the right sort of age to be introducing a promising young player. Vince, you feel is someone who's fully formed. He's more in his mid to late twenties, and I think that. It's harder for him to change anything now, but Livingston can still learn, can still evolve from that that very good base. Mm. What about England's pace bowling stock? We're going to talk about fast bowling after the break. What about England's pace bowling stock? They've got Wood. They're obviously going to hope that he stays fixed. He has got that extra pace. Not a huge amount of change for New Zealand. Broad going on? Well, Broad will probably bowl well out there. He's a similar bowler to, to quite a few of the New Zealanders. I think they've probably got it right. I mean, Broad took four wickets in, in that Melbourne test and seemed better. He's still a bowler I think I'd prefer to, to stick with in English conditions most of the time. But you know, his record is, obviously, he's the second best wicket-taking bowler in English mm. history. So it's hard to, to ignore his credentials. There, and there isn't really a lot of choice. It's such a shame to see someone like Tim Al Mills 
playing in the big bash, you know, bowling that rapid speed and, you know, only able to bowl four overs. Jamie Overton's injured. Stephen Finn's still back in England. Toby Rowland Jones is wandering around Westfield Shopping Centre the <laughs> other day, him, buying, going to the sales, I think, actually, uh, probably because people bought, bought him the wrong length trousers for Christmas presents. Uh, so, and he's not anyway a rapid, quick bowler. I think it was a disappointing selection, Tom Curran, really, because he's he's an excellent prospect as a cricketer, yeah. but I just couldn't see he was going to take wickets. They're, they've got to find some pace from somewhere. Yeah, well, he's ninth on the list, isn't he? In terms of you know, if you go right down, Tom Curran was was basically the ninth pick because mm. they, because of those things: injuries, Ben Stokes, etc., Toby Rowland Jones. He's someone actually who could work with our guest today, and and I think could find an extra five miles an hour. All right, so England will head off to New Zealand after the one-day series in Australia. It's a hell of a long winter mm. for the likes of Root and Moen Alley and others. And we'll look more at the art of fast bowling after the break. OK, welcome back. Right, more on fast bowling. Now, what makes a, a great fast bowler, Sam? You should know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I think, firstly, passion, actually. Uh, you need to desire to bowl fast. Obviously, it starts from a young age when you find that you can get the ball down reasonably quickly. You need a combination of strength and a fast arm to do that as a kid. But more than that, I think you just need this sort of real passion to want to do it because it hurts. As soon as you get to 13, 14, 15 and you're running in bowling, say, 12, 15 overs a day in whatever club or colts or school cricket, and you're getting footholds and hard grounds and soft grounds, your ankles, your knees, back, shoulders, they ache after you've done 10 overs. And basically from then on till you eventually retire, <laughs> something hurts every day. You turn up in the morning and it's either your knee or your back or your elbow or your neck. I used to get a a pain in my neck sometimes and people will say well probably from looking at the ball sailing back over my head uh, it was just from the effort of doing it I used to slap my left thigh with my right hand as I followed through and I sometimes get a sore patch there you get sore ankles if you were really following through well and hitting the, the pitch hard so you do need you know a resilience as well as an enthusiasm for it obviously you need the, the raw materials, the, the strength and the speed, the fast arm. But there those are things that you can develop. And actually, one of the very interesting points that Ian Pont makes, and we'll listen to him in a minute, is that there's a, a fallacy that you are born a fast bowler. You can actually make fast bowlers. What do you mean by that, though? What, what, what do you mean by... I mean, you can't, you can't just take someone off the street and make them into a fast bowler. Can you? Well, no, you can't. Uh, but I think it's it's a myth that all fast bowlers were always going to be fast bowlers because they had right. fast twitch fibres. Some just explain fast twitch fast fibers. Fast twitch fibres are the contraction very rapidly of lots of little muscles in your body, mainly in your limbs, that allow you to run, bowl, or throw fast. And someone like Steve Batley, the great javelin thrower, many great javelin throwers will have that. The art of javelin throwing, which is quite similar to fast bowling in many ways, is about the contraction simultaneously of many of those little muscles very fast to get that javelin, you know, 25 metres beyond. So if you haven't got fast twitch fibres, you won't be able to bowl fast. I don't think that's the case. What I'm saying is that is one 
of the assets that, that are, is, is required. And it used to be believed that what you needed to file, bowl fast was fast switch fibers. And if you didn't have them, right. you couldn't bowl fast. But actually, there are examples of fast bowlers. I mean, Devon Malcolm would be one, for instance. Devon Malcolm just basically bowled fast through brute force. He didn't have a particularly fast arm. There are other bowlers, someone like Wazim Makram, who just had an incredibly fast arm. Not much power in his body. It was very spindly. He sort of glided up to the pitch, to the stumps, and then his arm went... So fast that you you couldn't pick it up. You got bowlers with a mixture of the two. Some have fast arms and strength. Some have just one or the other. But the interesting thing that, that Ian Pont says, and I think he kind of rather debunks the myth that fast bowlers are born. You can actually learn or acquire some of the skills required. You need a basic ingredient, which is balance, a bit of coordination. Clearly some kind of idea about the art of bowling you know some people are just uncoordinated and just can't get it down the other end or can't get it down with any speed my son of 19 runs in fast but his arm just doesn't come over quick and it floats out and whatever he tries doesn't get any speed but my daughter Nancy who's 17 just glides up to the stumps and whips her arm over and can bowl quite quickly so some people have got that essential ingredient but you can build on those ingredients uh, and and you don't it's not just one ingredient that that you require but the 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 interesting thing about Ian Pond who's launching this ultimate pace foundation and has been really learning and researching the art of fast bowling over the last 25 years since he retired from the game playing for Essex is that he has one player and you mentioned it earlier who is his real model for a fast bowler why is Brett Lee, in your view, the most perfect model for a fast bowler? What are the kind of ingredients that he has that you really like? Well, firstly, he runs like an athlete. I mean, let's start at the beginning. He, he runs athletically in. He doesn't cross his arms. You know, he doesn't run side to side with his elbows. He runs like an athlete. If you took the ball away from him and just watched him run, he looks like he's going for a tempo run around the track. It's very nice to watch. He's got a great leap to the wicket. It's it's usually four times distance to one times height. Would be a rough guide. So in other words, he's not jumping too high and he's not jumping too far. But it's long jump rather than high jump. It's very balanced. He sets the top half of his body early, put his hands on his hip, and he's got this cycle kick. All of that is fantastic. The, the transition between athlete and fast bowler is, is almost a perfect bridge. And then he lands on his back foot super soft. He doesn't impact his heel into the ground. And there are a lot of coaches that teach you to land hard on your back leg, and this is a big error, because you're not trying to stop on your back leg and bowl. You're trying to stop on your front leg. So what you do is you have a light touch. In other words, you land on the ball of the foot, which he does very well. He was a sideways bowler, semi-sideways bowler, that kind of area pointing towards mid-wicket or, or maybe square leg with his back foot. He then rotates quickly. Before his front foot lands, his back foot would rotate, and that's called pre-turn because the front foot hasn't yet landed. He then allows his back leg to collapse, so his knee points forward, and that's called a drop step. So he has a pre-turn, a drop step, and then when his front leg lands absolutely ramrod straight in a straight line, that's called front foot block. So at the bottom of his action, he's got pre-turn, drop step, front foot block. They are all the ingredients of a great fast bowler. Also the ingredients of a great javelin thrower. Also the ingredients of a big power hitter in baseball. If you look at the bottom half of the a baseball batter hitting it out of the ground, you'll see he has a straight front leg, 
and a back leg angled at 90 degrees. You'll see that, and he's up on his toes on the back foot. The trip to America in the in the 80s opened my eyes to the fact that uh, you you generate speed with other parts of your body just them from your arm and that was 30 years ago and it led me into researching into the common threads between those rotational ballistic sports and and i and i arrived uh, at what we now call the four tent pegs which is which is uh, i think the, the fast bowling skeleton for, for everybody say you were given and i'm just talking sort of hypothetically now say you were given yeah. a, a craig overton or a tom curran uh, yeah. Obviously, you know, decent county bowlers have done de- okay in their first couple of tests. Yeah. What would you do with each of them to see if you could get another five miles an hour? Well, first things first, uh, none of this is ever going to work unless the bowler wants to change. And, and the, the, the challenge we've got is that if you're playing county cricket and you're bowling in the low to mid-80s, on pitches that are helpful, you're unlikely to say, you know, I've taken 60 wickets at 20, but do you know what? I want to bowl another five to eight miles an hour faster. That 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 is that is about having passion for pace, and I don't see that with many. I'm not saying these two guys haven't got it. I'm saying I don't see that in county cricket. At the moment. I don't see a passion for pace. Well, that's Ian Pont. Is this? Focus on pace, Simon, a fad simply because England have been found wanting in Australia and I suppose because they were found wanting in India the previous winter. You know, even in India on those slow pitches, if you've got some with pace, especially pace through the air, you can cause problems, can't you? Especially if you bowl full, full and quick, you can cause problems, you know, taking the pitch out of it. Is it just a fad? You know, England have lost a couple of series away from home. Or do you think from now on we've got to say, right... Test team, you've got to have some pace in that test team to be successful. I think you do. I think it's not a fad. I think England desperately need it. They've tried to get Mark Wood into the side and he's kept breaking down and he's definitely added an ingredient whenever he's played. And they've tried their best to find other versions of, of Mark Wood and just haven't really found anybody. I think England are at their best when they have someone who's got that extra ingredient of 90 mile an hour speed for two reasons. One, it makes if the ball is doing something, it makes it happen quicker. And two, it's very good to finish off tails. And everybody practices their batting now. Whereas mm. in the 1980s, you know, you get to three rabbits in a team. In England, sometimes have even four rabbits sometimes. But most teams now really practice their batting down the order and those kind of 50, 80 runs by 8, 9, 10, 11 can be very important, which can be finished off very quickly, as the Australians showed, by that extra pace. And I mean, also, the way that batsmen are practising now with more and more attention to detail and bowling machines and those throwing arms that that coaches use, I mean, they're spending so much time practising, practising, practising. They're so good with their movements and their general performance the only thing that can upset them properly is either extreme pace or mystery spin the batsmen are quite lucky aren't they really because they can in a way practice more than bowlers because you can you can have throw downs you can have bowling machines you can have people bowling at you all day just keep on batting and batting and batting whereas there's a limit how much you can bowl 
simply you know develop your body by bowling simply because you as you mentioned earlier you get you get tired you get pains everywhere you have to manage a bowler as batting you just go on and on and on and well you see, you see that Steve Smith just likes to go yeah. on and on and on and on so what about Ian Pont then do you do you feel that someone like him who is sort of outside the system isn't he and he's got these ideas do you think he's someone that will be taken seriously or do you think he's seen as someone who is a bit alternative and he's sort of over there in the corner and you know perhaps one or two bowlers might go to him and, and be helped by him but actually the, the central core of the ECB coaching sees him as someone on the periphery yeah they do and he's not probably always helped himself he's not the easiest person to to handle at times uh, he's a bit of a maverick and perhaps he can be a little bit dictatorial in what he thinks and not necessarily listen to anyone else but I think his ideas are good he's obviously got a passion for the subject he's done a lot of research on it I like the fact that he's been out to America to study baseball and the art of pitching and there the, the, one of the key pitching coaches in America said to him you can't launch a cannon from a canoe meaning you've got to work on your legs to make them stronger and get a braced front leg to be able to bowl properly fast it's no good just having your arms and your shoulders working because the pitching requires all your body working together and a really strong anchored position with your front leg as well as all the other things, all the other moving parts. And that's an area I think he's really focusing on. He's got these things called the four tent pegs, which he talks about as the, the keys to being able to bowl faster. Each of those bits of the action from back leg landing front leg landing follow through and of course the run-up as well can be worked on it might also make them injured more but he says that most of the bowlers or all the bowlers he's worked with have never got injured not not in terms of stress fracture or anything so I sort of do believe in his model and and, and his approach and I, I would like to see more people accommodate him do you think he would have made you quicker yes I do. I, I had a, a couple of things I didn't realise. Uh, I had a, a good uh, use of my upper body, and actually I did a very much a braced front leg as well. But that's why I've now got knee problems, because I put so much force through my braced front knee that in the end it, it started to crumble, and that's the problem. But now there's there's better understanding of the bowling action. You can take you know, precautions to make sure that the bits of the body that need to work well are stronger, the footwear and everything is better as well, so there's more chance of longevity. Definitely would have have made me a better fast bowler because I would have understood more about what I was doing rather than just running up and bowling. So next time England go to Australia, they cannot go there without one or two fast bowlers. No, I don't think so. And people will go back to 2010. Well, they didn't have fast bowlers, When did they, they didn't. No. They had Chris Tremlett, mm. who was probably mid to high 80s, but he had that extra height. And I think he gave that extra bit of thrust. The pitches did a bit more that year. And whether England focused on that 2010 formula and thought it would work again, I'm not sure, but it didn't work. And... The way that pitches are prepared now, drop-in pitches, things like that, they're not going to help the, the, the traditional English seam bowler in Australia. So, yeah, they do need more pace. My feeling about the selection for this Ashes Tour in terms of the quick bowlers was they didn't have anyone else, basically. They, mm. you know, they, they went through the card and they just selected who was there and it just happened to be bowlers who were fast-medium. You, you look around, who else was there? I, I, it wasn't obvious. I mean, you, well, you could say Plunkett. Plunkett's 32 hadn't played much cricket we talked about this didn't play much 
last summer. He was the only one, I suppose, you could have said, look, come on, could you come out and, and mm. bowl quickly for us? Yeah. He was about the only one. Wood you know, wasn't considered fit, we've discussed that already, but just about everybody else, they were either injured or unavailable. Mm. And so they just had to go with what they what they had. Whereas perhaps next time there needs to be a bit more of a strategic yeah. approach. I suppose you're right as well. You hope that there might be a bit more in the pitches. The pitches in Australia were desperately, desperately dull, weren't they? They really were. I mean, but is that going to change? I don't know. Well, probably, probably not. I don't know. And having said that, having said that, with that, you know, Ryder, Australia's quick bowlers, they managed to get enough out of them to unsettle England's batsmen, and England, you know, couldn't unsettle them. I think England will have to look ahead to the Ashes in 2021 in Australia and try and make sure that there is one fast bowler at least who is kept fresh for that, which means if we have a a summer like we're going to have this summer and last summer where they're still playing into late September, that particular fast bowler will have to just be kept in cotton wool perhaps for some part of the late part of the season so that he's ready I mean you're a hostage to fortune because that fast bowler could break down exactly. in the in the first practice match in Australia but you need, need a couple, a couple of people. you need a couple really. yeah. you need you need, yeah. you need to plan in some way to have a couple but you know it, it's 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 weird I mean sometimes things sort of have do come together by chance, don't they? Players, you know, do get injured, players lose form, and then you get to a series and you think, oh, we haven't got him, we haven't got him, we haven't got him. I managed to find an Australian team. Here it is. Watson, Hughes, Ponting, Clark, Mike Hussey, Steve Smith, Haddin, Mitchell Johnson, Ryan Harris, Peter Siddle, Ben Hilfenhaus. Now, that looks a pretty good Australian team, wouldn't you say? It's got Johnson and Harris. Harris, excellent bowler. Siddle was a very good bowler. You've got... Ponting, Clark, Hussey, and Smith is your three, four, five, six. Yeah, that, that looks a pretty and that's good. That's what England beat in two thousand. And that is the team England beat in the two thousand and ten eleven series by an innings in Melbourne. So what I'm saying is, you, you can get these players together, but they're not always in form. They're not always firing. So you ha- it, it is. It, it's sometimes it's indefinable, isn't it? You can plan. You can make all these plans. But if players are not fit, they're not in form, they're not firing together, they're not as a, they're not working as a team, then you can be undone. So yeah, plan, but also pray a bit as well. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's it for this week. I think just to say thank you for all your patronage of this podcast, and please continue to leave reviews on iTunes because that just helps us know if you're enjoying it and maybe give us some ideas for some subjects in future. We're now going back to our weekly podcast on a Monday night. So uh, hopefully more good performances by England to review. The next one day is in Brisbane at the Gabba. And I'd like to see England go out with all guns blazing again, wouldn't you? Well, let's see how they get on. It would be a real boost for them if they were able to, to win this series. They're one up with four to play. They haven't got a very good record in one day cricket in Australia. Generally speaking, the last few years, Australia have uh, downed them quite comfortably, so it, it will be a huge boost to them. The, the sombre voice of Simon well, Mann again there. Just the facts, Yozo, just the facts. OK, fair but, enough. More facts next week. Thanks for listening. Happy birthday. Sports Social Podcast Network.